African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, welcome to our program today, right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Well, this is a big, big week for uh, Channel Africa. As you know that uh, we are going into uh, Africa Day on the 25th of this month, and that's going to be on Wednesday. So this week on African Dialogue, we'll be mainly looking at Africa and its development. So today on our program, we'll be looking at the 6th Africa Unity for Renaissance Conference, which started yesterday at the UNISA campus in Pretoria, South Africa. What it seems to do, it seeks to do rather, it seeks to debunk the negative narrative that Africans have made no substantial contribution to science, knowledge, history and civilization. So we'll be looking at that African theme this week here on African Dialogue. But hey, we've got Anne Musa standing by to give us our news. In the headlines, Kenyan police disperse protesters marching against the election body in Mombasa. South African state prosecutors to appeal court order to reinstate President Jacob Zuma's corruption charges. And heads of state and government gather in Istanbul for a humanitarian summit. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Kenyan police in the port city of Mombasa have reportedly fired tear gas to disperse hundreds of protesters demanding the removal of an electoral oversight body, which opposition parties want scrapped. According to reports, police had earlier been seen patrolling the streets in riot gear, while businesses remained closed for fear of looting. South Africa's National Prosecuting Authorities to appeal the High Court judgment on the so-called spy tape saga. Last month, the court ordered the NPA to review its 2009 decision to drop 783 corruption charges against President Jacob Zuma. Announcing the decision to appeal, NPA head Sean Abrams says the High Court judgment has far-reaching implications. The judgment also affects each and every person who is the subject of a prosecutorial consideration and the discretionary powers of the prosecutor which is exercised on a daily basis the judgment of the full bench of the Pretoria High Court is also a matter that seriously affects the separation of powers. This is an important matter of principle which affects all prosecutions. It is so important, I believe it needs the decision of an appeal court. South Africa's Defence Ministry has rejected claims that Minister Nosivwe Mapisangakula smuggled a young Burundian woman with a false passport into the country in a state jet. According to a Sunday Times report, the minister used her influence in January 2014 to secure the release from custody of Michelle Wigger. Wigger had been detained in the Democratic Republic of Congo for using fraudulent documents to travel from Burundi. Defence spokesperson Mike Rama. 
the allegation of uh, abusing state resources. It's unfounded, as is the suggestion of smuggling. The child was forced to flee from Burundi from an abusive life, and the passport had been confiscated. And that is a matter that really the minister has not been involved in. The only point that the minister gets involved in this is that when she was in the DRC and the child was being released there, she then offered to take the child with her, and the child did not travel with fraudulent documents. She had a copy of a real passport. Egypt has deployed a submarine to search for the Egypt airplane that crashed with 66 people on board in the southern Mediterranean. President Abdel Fattah sisi says authorities are searching for the plane's black boxes. Ships sourcing the sea north of Alexandria have found body parts, personal belongings and wreckage from the Airbus 320. The plane was en route from Paris to Cairo when it vanished from the radar on Thursday. And finally, over 150 heads of state and government gathering in Istanbul for a humanitarian summit have been told by the UN Deputy Secretary-General that they have to take responsibility for helping those people who are most in need. The international community is meeting in the Turkish city at the first ever World Humanitarian Summit, which begins today. It has been described as a wake-up call for action. Elena Vibnachia has more. The first ever World Humanitarian Summit must become the Action Summit, says the United Nations Deputy Secretary General Jan Eliasson. On the eve of the summit, Eliasson gave a press conference where he underscored the need to put people at the center of humanitarian efforts and unite around five core principles, including preventing conflicts, upholding humanitarian law and investing in humanitarian work. Recapping the top stories, Kenyan police disperse protesters marching against the election body in Mombasa. South African state prosecutors to appeal the court order to reinstate President Sheikh Zuma's corruption charges. And heads of state and government gather in Istanbul for a humanitarian summit. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And uh, you know that uh, we as a radio station, we do love asserting the fact that we are Africans and telling the African narrative is something important. So this week is a very important week for Channel Africa because on Wednesday it is Africa Day. So today and this week we'll be focusing on African issues and looking at the development of Africa as a continent. And Saturday we're going to have a big, big celebration of our fifth. 50th anniversary that's going to be taking place as well so there'll be huge celebrations taking place and us as a radio station asserting the theme of what it means to be african 
Well, the 6th Africa Unity for Renaissance Conference got underway yesterday at the University of South Africa campus in Pretoria. Their theme is the knowledge, spiritual and struggle heritage for reimagining innovative Africa. According to the organizer, the conference aims to debunk the negative narrative that Africans have made no substantial contribution to science, knowledge, history and civilization. So today we'll be finding out what does this idea of the Renaissance means and a bigger conversation and question to ask is the question is the African Renaissance still a relevant issue is it still a relevant issue or an ideology well to help us on this subject we joined on the line by Baba Buntu who is the executive director of Eba Kosini Solutions which is a community based company specializing in African centered solutions to social political and uh, cultural challenges. Also on the line, we've got Professor Mamomuchi, who's joining us once again here on Channel Africa, and he is the Research Chair in Innovation Studies at the Faculty of Economics and Finance at the Tswana University of Technology. And uh, let's see if we have both Baba there. Baba Bunta, are you there with us? Good morning. Yes, I'm right here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Fantastic. And good morning to all the listeners. Well, let's start the conversation with you, uh, Baba Bunt, in terms of looking at why the 6th Africa Unity for Renaissance Conference. Some people will say that uh, the whole idea of the Renaissance is an old one. It's something that didn't really work. We've moved on and it seems like, hey, we need to actually be more innovative as a continent. Should we remain with the ideology of the African Renaissance? I think we absolutely should. And I think the reason is that uh, Africa has been a subject of challenges and destruction for a long time. And it takes a very, very long time to rebuild and get back to a sense of uh, building Africa the way that we really want to shape it. So just because an idea might not have been as successful as we wanted it within a shorter space of time does not necessarily mean that it's a bad idea. I think what it does remind us is that we need to be more effective and maybe we need to expect more from uh, our great writers, our great uh, change makers who have put a path in place. We keep saying that we must start uh, the renaissance of Africa, but in my opinion, it has started quite a long time ago. Mm. We just need to go further, deeper and broader. Mm. Tell us a little bit for people who are listening to us and who still don't understand the concept of the African renaissance. What are we speaking about when we speak about the African renaissance, Baba Buntu? I think we're talking about the totality of Africa. I think we need to reposition and understand Africa, not just as a marginal place, but actually a center stage for world development. Uh, Africa often features in the global narrative as a place of dependence, of need, of a place that needs help and needs guidance and needs advice on how to find itself. But I think we have... We have an abundance of uh, traditional indigenous knowledge that we need to resurface and bring back. We have, we have uh, great tools to continue to rebuild this continent. So I think the focus really within Renaissance movements and decolonial movements right now is not so much to seek outside uh, for, for ideas and, and um, tools. It's to really go within and seek within our traditional understanding of democracy, leadership, um, science, and, mm. and find the tools to really rebuild based on African terms, not try to copy or emulate any mm. other place, but really be confident 
that we do have the tools and we have the capacity and the will to rebuild this continent. Mm. Well, let me move to you, Professor Mamomuchi. But before I speak to you, let me acknowledge that we also have Dr. Balisa Sekejani, who's on the line, who's a research specialist at the African Institute of uh, uh, South Africa, which is also known as AISA. But Professor Mamomuchi, let me come to you. In terms of your idea of how you define the African Renaissance, how do you actually put it as a as a as a theme for Africa? Is it something also still relevant for you right now, or should we be moving to more innovative ideas and themes, looking at how fast-paced the world is moving today? Yes, <clears throat> thank you for the question, and thank you also for the for the, the first uh, uh, speaker also and his ideas. <clears throat> the way I think the best way we should uh, think. Uh, about the African Renaissance is there is so much uh, we need to unlearn, to relearn uh, about Africa. You mentioned the knowledge, the spiritual, the struggle heritage. We don't know it. We don't know about Africa. We, the, even the education system is borrowed. It, it was imposed. The boundaries are borrowed and imposed on us. What we are saying is that we want to make it African. If we want to make it African, we make Africa Renaissance, meaning a new imagination, a new vision, a new direction, a new road, a new journey is what Africa needs. It's extremely important that happens. Mm. Let me give you a concrete example. Sure. In 1994, when uh, Madiba said, remember the speech he made, I was in tears. I'm telling you, I, I genuinely was in tears. Mm. Because of, uh, not because of uh, sadness, but happiness. Because all along, since I was a, a little boy, I, I grew up with this anti-apartheid imagination, the struggle. So, and then something ended. We enter a post-apartheid era. He didn't say just democracy. He also said Africa Renaissance. And then uh, President Sabon Beke also followed it. What we're saying is that uh, if South Africa just becomes itself, it's not enough. South Africa is also for Africa, for the rest of Africa. So it means we need to, all of us, need to re, reimagine ourselves, reinvent ourselves, mm. re-innovate ourselves, and really re also arrange all our economic relationships, because the relationships we have now, all of our economy now, is not run by our, ourselves. It's run by outsiders and those who are not nice to us. Mm. So we need to change this. Mm. Even the South African economy, Mm. the economic justice is not purely done yet. So we have to work Renaissance Africa means a complete change, linking the economy with the politics, the private with the public, the market with the state, and and using our traditional systems, our traditional justice, restorative justice, all the, the... just changing all the ontological shallowness, the epistemological dryness that we have been borrowing, imitating, mimicking from the colonial world. We need to decolonize completely. Mm. That's what Renaissance means mm. for me. Sure. And that is not an easy thing to do. We, ha- we are still, our borders are still drawn by outsiders. Mm. It po- costs us hugely to protect them. It even gives us wars. It does not give us peace and security. Mm. We need prosperity and peace. 
I will mm. give you a concrete example. Well, 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 Professor, let me go on a quick break right now. I have to cut you off okay. there. I'll be Sorry back and we'll look at expanding some of the themes and the examples on how we can actually reimagine this, this Africanization of the continent and also the African Renaissance. And now when I come back, I have to come to Dr. Sikijan as well, who's there on the line. But hey, what are your thoughts? Do you still think the idea of the African Renaissance, our guests have already unpacked it. Do you think that it's still a relevant theme? Do you think it's a relevant ideology that we can own in our different countries? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. It's eleven sixteen. Let's take a quick break. That's eleven sixteen Central African time. We'll be back after this. Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its fiftieth anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home. Tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is a big week for Channel Africa because on Wednesday we have Africa Day. And this week here on African Dialogue, our main theme will be around the issue of what does it mean to be an African today. And today we're coming back to the idea of the African Renaissance. We always call ourselves the voice of the African Renaissance right here on Channel Africa. Today we want to unpack the theme. Is the African Renaissance still a relevant theme in our daily lives as Africans? And joining us on the line, we've got Baba Buntu, who is the executive director of Ebakusin, Ebukosini, rather, Ebukosini Solutions, which is a community-based company specialized in African-centered solutions in various parts of social life. We've got Professor Mamomuchi, who's also joining us, who is the research chair in innovation studies at the Faculty of Economics and Finance at the Twane University of Technology. And also we've got Dr. Palisa Sikajane, who is from the African Institute of South Africa. Dr. Sekajane, let me come to you when it comes to just moving this conversation. I think we've pinned down the definition of the African Renaissance, but could we say that it's difficult to pursue this idea looking at the complex and contradictions in the inherent in what we've inherited from colonialism and also the context of nationalism uh, and uh, that have come out of post-colonial Africa and that have been molded. Is it difficult to actually create this overarching idea Idea of what it means to be an African. Um, good morning to you and good morning to the listeners. First of all, I think I want to say um, if us African, Africans we are going to be in denialism, what else can we be? We can't run away from the fact that we are Africans and we are nothing else but Africans. 
And also, I want uh, in relation to the colonialism that you're mentioning. Unlike us, uh, uh, unlike others, as Africans, we we it's difficult to be holding dual citizenship uh, of other countries or other continents. Continents, we remain African. So as much as there can be so many explanations of what is an African and uh, it's difficult and so on and on, I think the most important, first of all, is to accept that we are African and be conscious about what, um, as Africans, what is it that we want. I mean, the world is evolving, Africa is evolving, and unfortunately it's, in, it's evolving within the clause of, um, uh, of colonialism. But at the same time, there is so much that as Africans we are doing that we are producing and we are just overlooking it. We have fallen into the traps of racism, fallen into the traps of colonialism, the dissections that were brought on to us by colonialism, and we are ratifying them. We ratify them when we when we when you see stories such as xenophobia. Why are we even entertaining um, such divisions that were not even uh, part uh, the part of our culture? I can refer to some of the teachings of um, Chuck Antadiop, where he mentioned that, in fact, the African people. There was not much of difference in terms of um, where we come from. We were all one. It's just because of the the, the spatial differentiation, we started to speak different languages, mm. and we started to develop those languages. But then all our cultures are borrowed from one another. We um, we evolved them, and and we, we own up to them. But unfortunately, now we have been uh, taught to see these cultures as something else. And like uh, Professor Mamomuchi says, we have to unlearn some of the teachings in order to learn what Africans are about, what Africa is about. And also shake this myth that uh, Baba, uh, Baba Buntu spoke about of um, we, are, we are dependent, we are a continent that is forever limping and in need of help. We are not in need of help. We have been taught that we need a whole lot of help, but we do not need a whole lot of help. The continent itself, it's self-sufficient. Mm. But Unfortunately, we are being robbed by some of the political conditions and some of the con- uh, economic instruments that are placed on us to utilize. Mm. Um, Professor Muchi mentioned a number of examples that are, eco- uh, 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 are relating to economics. The, 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 uh, the usage of uh, the, the currency that was not even developed by our own. We failed to even uh, support um, um, Gaddafi. When Gaddafi was saying we need to have a united currency as Africans, we need to trade amongst ourselves. Now, because of we looked so much to the West, we missed that opportunity. That was a low-hanging fruit that as Africans we missed, and we are to be blamed for that, and we need to take action in order to rectify our actions. Mm. Well, that brings me to this question, Baba Buntu, in terms of the idea that uh, we've got this idea that we are African, but we've adopted Western forms of schooling, Western forms of medication. We live in a very much globalized economy, really, in, in the world. But it seems like what's central to the way we live as Africans is that we live in a Western informed world. When you tell me if I know anything about, um, Timbuktu and the history in terms of civilization there and the education system there as a young African.
African, I would have no idea because my schooling system has informed me from a very Western uh, point of view. How do we correct those things that are already now really re- entrenched in our society? Our judicial system is another good example that we've never really, uh, really adopted the communal judicial structures that yeah. we know of as Africans. So it's very problematic now, all of a sudden, that we need to rearrange the structure and the way we are as communities and as countries. That's true. I, I fully agree. And I think that what we need to also understand is that when we keep talking about the crisis, and there are many on the continent, we should not shy away from talking about that, but we must understand that a major problem with these, um, these crises is that it is by and large an intentional crisis, meaning that some of the problems that we have had for a long time on the continent are not just results of us failing or results of us being misguided or, or results of us not really knowing what to do. It's results of power structures that were planted into the continent with the intention that we should fail, with the intention that we should be dependent, with the intention that we should not recognize and acknowledge our own medicine, our own science, our own languages, our own knowledge. And this was not just a light, small project. It's something that has been done for a long time with a very, uh, with, with a very particular sense of power. So I think we're still trying to grapple with this. We're still coming out of this. And this is why, back to your first question about whether the Renaissance is still relevant, if it, if it seems to some that it has failed. I think to, to rebuild a continent that has been so marginalized and so overpowered in, in, in every aspect of, of its economy, its political sense, its spiritual sense, it takes a lot of time. And I think the, the, what our young Africans are showing us right now is that they are really expressing a particular anger, a particular impatience, a particular courage to know more, to understand more, and to change more. And I think this impatience that some adults seem to be a little bit uncomfortable with because young people speak with a very, uh, with a very rough voice, with a very direct voice. And I think that's a wake-up call to the rest of us that we really need to be able to speak with that sense of power, not just trying out, not just being... Uh, standing in the corners on the sidelines, but we really need to be in the middle of the revolution that this continent needs. And I see mm. that. Uh, mm. I think even the, the, the Renaissance Conference we are attending today, uh, uh, indigenous knowledge is very central. Um, uh, transform- transformations within the economy, political mm. structures is, is very central. And I think what we need to see now is a, a strong collaboration between knowledge holders and practitioners because I think we have a solid scholarly work around decolonial approaches but we, there, there seems to be a gap between the knowledge holders who often have to find their um, way of living within institutions. Mm. We need to connect with the communities of practice. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, isn't it, Professor Mamamuchi, that Baba Buntu is highlighting, is that these ideas are there, these theories are there, the research is there, the commentary is huge when it comes to the African Renaissance, but translating it into reality sometimes becomes the big challenge. We need to get these knowledge systems into our schools, into our clinics, into our various uh, parts of society, but it's just not taking place. Yes. I think uh, I, I appreciate the comments both by both uh, uh, our sister, Dr. Palacia, and uh, other brother. I think what they are saying is right. I just want to say something uh, factual. You know, uh, the Clinton uh, email that was revealed. Mm-hmm. You know, when Gaddafi, uh, the late Gaddafi, um, 
uh, tried to form the Afro, uh, the currency. He wanted to create the African IMF, the African World Bank. And he was accumulating a lot of gold to start the thing. It's when they realized this, that they really went for him. And now, in that email, it's now open and public. They, the gold and the oil from Libya has been taken by the United States and, and France. It says. That's, uh, it's admitted. And, and then what was uh, denied, as uh, our sister, Dr. Palacia, you know, when Gaddafi started doing something, to on our uh, uh, our Afro currency or something, they they destroyed him and they the destruction of him is not just him, it is a destruction of also an African agenda, yeah. an African imagination. That is what they don't want, and I think we have a problem. We always all our leaders, these 54 states, they all have third uh, external forces with them, so they can't really work with us with each other well, with trustfully. So uh, everything my brother says to implement is very hard because the elites are not with us. You know, there's a state curse. There's a leadership curse. Mm. There's a governance curse. There's even institution curse. Not just resource curse we have. And, and we need to change this completely. And we need to find new ways by which even to be a public servant, what does it mean to be a public, public service? Somebody shouldn't just be a uh, uh, an officer or something, an official, unless we know his moral integrity, his honesty, his sincerity, you know, uh, his humility mm-hmm. and his service orientation, all this. We need to find some, some new ways by which you could do it. Another very important point about justice. Our culture is Ubuntu. It's better I hurt than hurting you. This is extraordinary. Our philosophy, the humanity philosophy that came from us. Our justice system is not punitive. It is rehabilitative. It is restorative. We have a traditional system of justice that's much more, uh, much more superior than the, the Western and Eurocentric one. But what did we do? We copy. We make punitives. We create more prisons. We create more uh, problems to our own people. We should have been rehabilitating them, save them, not, not uh, punish them, so to make them even more criminals. You see, we, we, if we use African values, African traditions, African philosophy, it's amazing. And to knowledge, we were the first ones to create the first university in the world. It is about 230 years later that Europe copied what we did. We had mathematics, we had astronomy, we had everything. But we don't, we don't teach it in the school system. We don't. Before Islam and Christianity, we have an amazing spiritual system here in Africa. We don't know about it. Mm-hmm. We don't even read uh, uh, and the work of our own people did. Ivan Setima on science. Many things we don't, we don't read. Mm-hmm. We don't use it in the school system. We don't grow up. I mean, I asked the other day somebody about Aksum. I showed him the picture. And uh, he's one of the students here in, 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 in my university. I said, what is this? He says he doesn't know. I said, this is Aksum civilization. It is supposed to be the African civilization. Mm. Why you don't know? I said, I don't know. Then nobody told me. He said to me. <laughs> That's true, because he's got a good we point. We have a serious problem. We yeah, have exactly. the biggest problem. Not mm. other, let's not complain about ourselves. Mm. Let's learn how to trust each other, mm. appreciate our values, our deep values, sure. our deep humanity. 
We can be. A, we are a civilization. We are not even a nation. Mm. We well, don't reduce us to a nation. We are humanity. We are history. We are combined with this, and we are great. I'm telling you, mm. Africans are great, and they can save this world, this crazy world. Africa can save it. The well, Africa, I'm going to come back to that. Rejected. The imperialist builders rejected will be the cornerstone of the arch. This was what my supervisor, my PhD supervisor, used to say. He's an Englishman. Mm. He used to say that to me. His name is Chris Freeman. That is what he used to be. My brother, there's a lot we can talk about. Sure. Let, let, we'll come back to those particular issues. But I'm also looking at when you look at what's happening within our own uh, continent. We're seeing wars. We're seeing a slow pace of changing economies. We're seeing um, a, a, a trend of dictatorship from um, leaders as well. So those issues sometimes compromise our own views, normal citizens' view of the African Renaissance. But we'll deal with that. I'll pose that to you, Dr. Palisa Sikajan, uh, before we, after this break. Uh, but we have to go to a quick break. But what are your thoughts if you're listening to us online hey do you think that the african renaissance is relevant and if so how is it relevant give us your thoughts plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero remember we're building up to the big day of africa day on wednesday and our anniversary as channel africa on saturday so this week we'll be looking at africa and our identity let's take a quick break we'll be back Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home. Tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama, and this is African Dialogue, where we actually gather experts every day from Monday to Thursday to speak about the big issues on the continent. Today, we're speaking about, is the African Renaissance still a relevant ideology for the continent? Give us your thoughts. Remember, you can SMS us your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. Org. Or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. We'd like to hear from you there. Uh, joining us, we have uh, uh, Baba Buntu, who's the executive director of Ebu Kusini Solutions. Uh, Professor Mamumuchi also joins us once again on African Dialogue. He's the research chair in innovation studies at the Faculty of Economics and Finance at the Twana University of Technology. And we've also got Dr. Palisa Segejano, who is a research specialist based at the African Institute of South Africa. Let me come to you, Dr. Palis Segejani. It's great to have these great themes and positive views about the African continent, but also there are challenging issues. And uh, uh, Professor Mamamuchi highlighted e- 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 
I highlighted it briefly there about external challenges that we're also seeing coming into the continent. And also we're seeing also internal issues of uh, uh, African leaders remaining in governing seats. We also have a few civil wars that are still taking place. And that issue of uh, the scramble for our resources here on the continent seems to be an issue that we're still not dealing with from an African leader's perspective. So how do we have this grand idea of Africa when there's issues such as poverty on the ground, where people are really struggling, and our economies are still slowly but surely trying to define themselves? Um, I think um, the challenge also has to do with the manner in which we access this kind of information at times. I mean, most of us, you get exposed to the challenges of Africa, the the, the history and uh, and. When I'm, what I'm saying, when I'm saying that is because of, for example, not all South Africans will study South African, I mean African history, or not all Africans will study the African history. But I think from the primary level, that's where we are not getting it right. When you go to Cuba, um, the children in Cuba, they already understand the history in Cuba. So now that's where now we need to also, I think we, we can adopt that modality too, to say, how do we feed um, our children from the word go? the right information, the truth about Africa. How can we make sure that the information, the literature, and the truth about our continent is not only accessible to the elite or it's not hierarchized? So I think these are the challenges that we face in terms of getting the reality to our people, to the masses, because issues such as poverty, they really distract us from learning. Because, of course, when a person is in poverty, all they think of is how can they provide the next bread for their family or even for themselves. And Africa is not even impoverished, but then we still suffer the most uh, uh, poverty, the highest poverty in the world. So I think um, we are getting it wrong at the bottom. And I, 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 I salute people like uh, Professor Muchi, who make sure that they do not only work in the higher structures of, uh, of our societies, but they also work in the bottom structures. So we need a whole lot more of people who can be in the revolution, like Baba, tu, uh, Baba, Baba is saying. Because if we fail to really involve our communities, that's when we really fail ourselves as a nation mm. and as a, as a, as a continent. Mm. Baba Muntu, do you want to highlight anything of those contradictions, this ideology of this progressive continent? We've got great resources, we've got great uh, academic material resources in our archives, we've got an inheritance of Ubuntu as a communal kind of um, instinctual habit as we are in the way that we work in our communities. But hey, when you come to the reality of it, there's poverty, there's um, corrupt governments, there are problems with civil wars, and sometimes that is a bigger battle to fight than this ideology that may be within you. Yes, that's true. There are major challenges, but I think added to that, we also should recognize that there are many initiatives on the ground that are working to elevate the consciousness around these things. For instance, our own organization, Ebukusini Solutions, I actually engage with young people on a daily basis who are interested in learning about Africa, who participate in workshops, who participate in leadership initiatives, who participate in community engagements, where they elevate their understanding of Africa, where they implement their understanding of African knowledge into practical work, be it start of a business, be it how they set up their family, 
in how they solve the problem in the community. So I'm not trying to neglect the overarching problems. They are huge and they are overpowering in many ways. But I'm, I'm also putting a language to the, to the fact that there are many organizations that are working on the ground on a daily basis to, to, to enact this change. So hence my previous point that we need to be strong in a, in a stronger way connected. Those, those of us who work on the grassroots level, those who are knowledge holders, who, who try to implement on policy level and work uh, in, in conjunction with government structures, and combined, because I think the voice that I hear in, in, in our communities speak with a certain urge of freedom, a certain will to sacrifice for that freedom. And sometimes the voices of people who are supposed to help us higher up in the structure, sometimes become a little bit weak, become a bit marginalized, doesn't always come with the same confidence of, uh, I think sometimes we, we, we hope and expect that this change is going to be amicable and, 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 and nice. Mm. And I think the, the challenges we are up against cannot really be solved in nice and comfortable and easy ways. Mm. It, will be, it will be offensive to some, it will be hurtful to some, it will be provocative to some. And I think what we really need to... To, to be able to strengthen is a transformation of courage where mm. we are able to stand up for the principles we believe in, where we firmly make a commitment to this co uh, continent, its, its past, its present and its mm. future, mm. and really forge ahead, uh, come what may, so that, we can so that we can deliver on the results that we say that we want. And I, I see young people especially emulating part of that courage, and I think when we start to work stronger together, I, th I think there's a lot of African youth. When I, when I do workshops uh, in other African countries, I, I operate in South Africa, but I'm invited to other African country, mm. uh, countries as well. And I hear young people, are, I mean, I was in Nigeria last year and I expected about 30, 40 people to come through to a, to a lecture or a workshop on Pan-Africanism. More than 400 turned up and they were, they were really, really, really engaging. So I think we are failing our youth if we, are, if we think about young Africans as if they're not really interested, they're just on their cell phones, they're just on the internet. They're on the internet and cell phones because that is available to them. But mm. our knowledge holders available to them are those of us who say we have Pan-African solutions, are we engaging with our youth? Mm. I think if we don't, we are really feeling the future of this continent. Well, Professor Mamamuchi, your thoughts. I mean, when it comes to the idea of youth, it's very important because we've got a large population on the continent of young people. And it seems like they're also having those challenges of unemployment, access to kind of resources of education. It seems like it's, it is their main issue right now on the African continent. But in South Africa, we saw that huge kind of political issue unfold with the fees must fall. And before that, roads must fall where we saw young people almost taking a narrative of black consciousness, a narrative of Pan-Africanism as their um, uh, foothold of moving forward. What did you grab from that particular situation and that historical events that we saw just in the last two years? Yeah, you're right. Uh, thank you for also the comments of uh, uh, my brother, Baba Buntu, and uh, Dr. Palacia. And, and uh, Dr. Palacia was also worked very strongly with the uh, Africa Expo Day, and usually she invites all these young uh, uh, students to come on the Africa Expo Day and get exposed. So I hope this continues. I mean, the Africa Expo Day also becomes serious. But I think what you said about youth uh, is very, very relevant. Uh, about nearly 65% of the population of Africa is called youth. I mean, and then when you come to South Africa, you have unemploy uh, un you know, unemployable youth, and unemployment is very high. 
Also, South Africa has what is called a skills mismatch. The, they graduate, but they don't get jobs. So the creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship uh, culture in South Africa among the youth needs to be in, uh, encouraged. I remember uh, the Houting Pro uh, Premier's uh, group, they invited me uh, to give a, how do we create South Africans as proud, the young South Africans as proud um, entrepreneurs, you know, how do they, how do we build them? So we, we need to really work on this. What uh, Dr. Palacia said is very important. Uh, from the bottom, we need to go to the top, and the top must also come to the bottom. How do we create this? At the moment, for example, I am involved with a group of people, and we write always to the African Union Commission, including to the commissioner, saying that there should be an African Union Education Commission that actually addresses the whole issue of how we can redress re-engineer the whole education system and make it African-centered, African-anchored, African-rooted. How could we do that? And we need to develop, uh, and meaning it's not good to just uh, uh, go and give a few lectures and mm, get a few mm, young people. Mm, mm. We need to make it systematically across sure, Africa. Sure. It is all of us. It is, we're all affected. So we need to do the whole, recurriculate the whole education, literally decolonize it, because at the moment it's all imitation. We, we, and that's why we, we imitate everything. Look at our women. They, they all imitate the West. They don't have their own self-esteem and self-pride. They have to make their hair like the Europeans and that kind of thing. It's scary. I mean, look at, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've read the, the Mail and Guardian. A sister has written on it. Uh, the, the, this, uh, this issue on Friday. Mm. Uh, please look at it, what mm. you wrote. An sure. Excellent on the, on this, uh, female, uh, hair industry. Mm. How they mm. misuse and mismanage our people. Mm. Because the imaging is not good. It inferiorizes. We have to remove it. We have to decolonize our imagination. Uh, our mind. You know, uh, you know the Bob Marley. True. None but ourselves can imagine. We have to do, you know. Mm. Uh, this very, very seriously. And the education, education, education is very important. To re-educate. Mm. Uneducate ourselves, to re-educate ourselves. Very important that we do this systematically. And, and we do every scheme. The, this month is an excellent month, for example, if we use it. But how many of uh, African states have made this month an education month? No, mm. None. Mm. Even South Africa, although you're trying, it should have been Africa Day. should be, I don't know whether they have made it. I haven't heard whether they have made it a, a, a National Education Day. No, not yet, not yet. Not yet. Mm. I mean, Zimbabwe has made it, mm. Chad has made it, mm. but how will not South Africa doesn't? Mm. I mean, of all places, you see, the, the leading country is South Africa. Mm. I call it the, 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 the African capital. Mm. Well, the African ship. well, Professor, unfortunately, we've run out of time. I wish we could carry on because this is such an important uh, conversation. Yeah. But thank you for giving us your time, Professor Mamomuchi. He's thank the you. research chair in innovation studies at but the Faculty of Economics and Finance at the Twana University of Technology. Thank you as well to Baba Buntu, who is the executive director at Ebukosini uh, Solutions. And thank you to Dr. Palisa Sekejan, who's the research specialist uh, from the African Institute of South Africa. Thank you all for giving us your time. We appreciate it. We've run out of time. We have to move on to our economics update. If I could, I would get more comments from all of you just to give us a wrap-up. But I've run out of time because this was such a progressive and such a big conversation we had today. We've got Wissani Matebula standing by to give us our economics update.
Thanks, Benjamin. The Southern African Confederation of Agricultural Unions, SACAO, is hosting its annual conference in Babane, Swaziland, this week. The two-day conference will, will have seen more than 17 members of the union deliberate alternatives to changes brought about by climate change. Abongile Dumako reports. Twelve countries in the Southern Africa region are gathering here in Babane, Swaziland, for the next two days this to explore how Sakao members can go about envisioning the future of agriculture in Southern Africa. Meanwhile, this conference comes amid a slight decrease in agricultural production due to the recent drought in the Sadek region. Sakao's capacity building advisor Benito Eliasi. What we're expecting is to have resolutions on which we are going to be guided by on how we can take a full advantage of the technologies that are available now, apply them in agriculture for transformation. Because we believe that the way agriculture is run, it needs somehow to be transformed. And the use of technology will be at the center of that transformation. And also we believe that the youth themselves they are the ones who are going to drive that transformation. The Institute of Engineers Rwanda and Rwanda Housing Authority have vowed to ensure that unregistered engineers do not get the work in their country as part of efforts to crack down on quacks, according to the president of the Engineering Council in Rwanda, Dismas Nkumbana. All unregistered engineering professionals have accordingly been given up to the end of the month to register their status. Nkumbana says the move is also geared at promoting professionalism, quality and safety in the construction industry. In a high-level talk to resolve the cell phone operator MTN's fine in Nigeria have been suspended. Nigerian officials say the decision is to allow Parliament to conduct its investigations into the size of the penalty. MTN's stock has fallen by about 30% since the penalty was announced last year. And the yields on Egyptian as three-month and nine-month treasury bills rose at an auction. The average yield on Egypt's 91-day uh, bill rose to 12.9% from 12.83%, the last sale on May the 15th. Financial indicators now, the dollar trading at uh, 15.61, South African Rand at 11, 10 Botswana Pula, and 10.16 Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.68 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities gold, we have it uh, trading at $1,254 and platinum going down to $1,021 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil going up $48.57 per barrel. That's how it's looking. In our sports update this hour, I'm Figile Lungwati, and we begin with football news. South Africa's National First Division side, Baroka FC chairman Kurishi Mpahlele, says he's happy and feels humbled by the support the side received throughout the season and on the final day. Baroka are crowned National First Division champions and new PSL side following the one-all draw with Milano United at the Pitamukaba Stadium on Sunday. Mpahlele says at the beginning of the term that he would like nothing more than automatic promotion. 
also Mpakele says his charges are going to have a short holiday as he wants them to start preparing for their maiden top flight season early. The principal also emphasized that the players' mindset will have to change as the A-League league is a different ball game. And on to athletics. Casta Semenya of South Africa has set another world record time to easily win the 800 meters at the Diamond League meeting in Morocco. Again, showing she will be one of the runners to watch at the Rio Olympics. Simenya was nearly two seconds faster than her victory at the last Diamond League meeting in Doha, in Qatar, two weeks ago. Ndudu's Ndlovu reports. Africa hosted its first ever Diamond League meeting in Morocco on Sunday, where Casta Simenya continued with her impressive build-up to the Olympics with a comfortable success in the women's 800 meters to mark her out as a strong favorite for gold in Rio. The 25-year-old Simenya powered through a strong field, including two other former world champions in a time of 1 minute 56.64 seconds, lopping to victory after easing ahead of the rest down the final straight. It was the best time of the year and the second successive Diamond League win this year for Simenya, who also has plans to run the 400 meters in Rio. And in rugby news, the Springbok Sevens team finished the 2015-2016 HSBC World Rugby Sevens Series in second place after ending up as losing finalists in the HSBC London Sevens on Sunday. Scotland stunned the Blades box with a 27-26 win in the final, their ever first title in the series, with a try in the dying seconds of the pulsating match. The Scots had a 10-7 lead at the break, but South Africa overhauled them to lead 26-15 with two minutes to play. Two late tries stunned the South Africans though. And in golf news, Rory McElroy has won the Dubai duty-free Irish Open the event he hosts. He finished on 12 under par for a three-strokes win and has donated the first prize to his charity. Nick Dye reports. He's won in some style and with a rare display of emotion, almost tearful finishing in front of 25,000 home supporters to become the first Irish winner of the event in seven years. It had been a thrilling tussle with Russell Knox, but McElroy birdied 16 as Knox missed a short par putt, and the world number three arrowed one of his best ever shots into the par 5 18th to set up a tap-in eagle. He acknowledges he's won on the world's biggest stages, but says he never felt pressure like he did in this final round. Knox tied second with Bradley Dredge, while another feel-good story sees Matthew Southgate finish fourth for the best result of his career, some ten months after being diagnosed with testicular cancer. The €660,000 Euros first prize goes to the Rory Foundation, and hence to three children's charities in the Dublin area. It's McElroy's 13th European Tour success. And that's the sport news this hour.